0: Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Browns Note Podcast. This is number 25. Can't believe we made it to the quarter century mark after, what, two years? (laughs) But uh, we're going to talk some Browns football. We'll try and find some silver linings for you in this weekend's unfortunate performance against the Jets. And then look ahead, of course, to the Tennessee Titans coming in for the home opener. This is Ryan Burns coming to you from Dog Pound West in Orange County, California, Joined now by my man from the heart of Ohio, Mr. Brendan Leister. How's it going, man?
1: Going good. Uh, just preparing for a big rivalry game tomorrow night. So uh, it should be a good one. They're averaging 60 points, so we got a pretty big <laughs> challenge on our hands. Well,
0: it's a good thing you're on offense. At least you have goals. You know, you know where to set the bar. You got to go go score a bunch of them. Um, let's let's look briefly, uh, not too briefly, but let's look back at this game against the Jets in the Meadowlands because I think there are probably a number of different angles to take. There are probably a number of different ways to look at it. I think there's the sort of what I would consider a little too simplistic and maybe even a little lazy view, which is, well, the Browns are terrible and they just got smoked. Um, they may be terrible. We'll get to that. But I don't think terrible is the explanation for what happened uh, week one. To me, what I saw was the following. The Browns, more or less, even after McNaw, or McNown, that's how, far, that's how much I think of Josh McCown, even after McCown got hurt, um, I really felt like for the bulk of the first half, the Browns controlled the football game. Now the problems occur as follows. Um, they can't close a damn half to save their lives, and it's killing me. It feels like, and I'm certainly not the only one that noticed it. I recognize this is not an original thought. But they have a pattern now, and it goes beyond Petten because it's from before that. But nevertheless, it has extended into his tenure. They regularly lose the ends of halves and the ends of games, and there's got to be a reason for that. And I want to see if you have any thoughts about it, number one. Uh, Obviously, turnovers and penalties – if you have 12 penalties and five turnovers, you're going to lose almost every football game you ever play. So let's just start with the basics. And there are a number of different ways you can put that. I'm sure a lot of people who already don't like Petten put that on Petten. I'm not sure it's all on Petten. I mean, I don't think it's Petten's fault that some of these guys can't stay still at a snap or that they you know don't know how to cover a guy without tackling him. And so there are, there are things that I, I go back and forth on where to lay blame at the end of the day. They didn't execute for crap and they made a lot of mistakes. Now, let, a, a couple of highlights I want to just point out. Um, that, look, this is a low bar because <laughs> it was really, really bad when last we saw Johnny Manziel. But turnovers and all, this is by far the best he's ever looked in the NFL. And quite frankly, if you looked around the NFL in week two or week one, he might have had the most encouraging performance of any of the 2014 quarterbacks. Now I mean that on a relative basis, of course. I'm talking about vis-a-vis the way they've looked previously. But that was a that was a nice, a nice highlight to me. Other than that, I thought it was a really unfortunate game in that a couple of the strengths that are supposed to be the strengths of the team failed them in key spots. I mean Joe Hayden was getting torched left and right. The offensive line to me was kind of disappointing. And then of course the final hammer, which was really the discouraging point to me, was the entire second half of the game when Chris Ivory was gashing them in uh, In what has become a familiar theme of the team not being able to stop anybody on the ground. So that's how I saw the game. Obviously, if a couple of plays in the first half go a little bit differently, it might be an entirely different game, specifically the you know, Marshall ripping the, the interception away from Gibson, and then the Browns totally failing to jump on that snap, that errant snap that somehow Fitzpatrick made the play on. Uh, if, if either of those plays goes the other way, they're probably not, you know, trailing in the, in the going into the half, and they probably have a different way of playing that first drive and all that. So I, I just don't really know how that game really plays out if a couple of plays go differently. So that, that's the way I saw it. I'm sure you have a bit more depth to it than that, um, but give me your thoughts.
1: Um, first of all, I, I was encouraged by the first drive. I will say, I mean, Josh McCown led him down the field. How many plays was it? 15, oh, 17. I think it was the longest drive. drive. Yeah. I mean, that's against the Jets defense Who? I mean, as the game went on, they kind of proved to be pretty stingy. I think this season we'll probably see that they're pretty good. So that was encouraging to me. Obviously, McCown has to protect himself. He can't get hurt that way and go out of the game. But I thought that his play on that one drive and the way that the offense executed was encouraging. Um, Obviously, from there, it was discouraging the way that they committed so many penalties. They couldn't stay on schedule because of the penalties. You know, they'd have a long run on the third down by Manziel, and then it would get called back by a hold. I think that happened twice, twice or three times. There was just so many plays where, you know, it looked like they were doing something good and then it would just get called back. And that that can't happen. That's so, um, you know, deflating to an offense, deflating to a team when you feel like you're doing something and then all of a sudden you just oh, for, for a young them.
0: quarterback especially.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, I mean, Manziel kept, you know, standing there, making, trying to make throws, trying to make plays. I think uh, I just got done reading uh, that, that article by, I think, Mary Kay Cabot, uh, It was about Sean DeFilloppo talking about Manziel and how uh, he still believes he has a chance to be a very good quarterback in the NFL and everything. And One of the things he talked about in that was understanding situational football. And that kind of struck me because I think in the second half, Manziel was kind of trying to, you know, make the big play here and there and really hold the ball and, you know, try to push the ball down the field. When sometimes he's just got to take what the defense gives them you know, try to move the chains. You can't score 14 points on one drive. So that's something I think he really needs to improve on. And, and, you know, that'll come with experience. Um, Some things that were really discouraging to me were, as I was watching the game live, I will admit I haven't been able to watch it over. And until football season ends, for me, I probably won't get to watch any games over again uh, because I'm just too busy. But uh, something that was really discouraging was, like, the offensive line and the run game. I mean, I thought in pass protection they were excellent. You know, there wasn't really any plays where I was like, wow, that's on the O-line. You know, the pass protection was good, but the run run blocking didn't look that great. At the same time, Isaiah Crowell, his vision is terrible. God, he looked awful. And he didn't has he? Very, that was
0: really disappointing.
1: Yeah, he has a very bad feel for setting up blocks also. I mean, he, he just he likes to run into the back of his linemen. It's, it's very hard to watch sometimes especially when they try to run outside zone and he can't see the cutback lanes and he can't find the holes you know that's difficult and you know duke johnson was coming off the concussion and and drone i mean that guy he's not good at all so i'm i'm looking forward to robert turbin coming back and yeah, maybe amen. he'll you know bring something a little different but um and then the other another position i was discouraged by obviously as you mentioned was just the defensive back play you know whitner wasn't making tackles that he usually makes. You know, last year I thought he had a great year. He really didn't have a good first game in my opinion. Hayden didn't play well at all. He was torched by Marshall as you said. I mean, Gibson, he made a pick. You know, he has a very uh he has a great knack for being around the ball, and making interceptions, but I mean, you can't give one away like that. You know, you can't fumble the ball and oh, get picked. Think especially in the opposing red the zone. I mean,
0: especially in the opposing red zone. They've got a chance to get in and score a touchdown or at least get three points out of that. You have to protect the football when you have it. I don't care what position you play.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And just, you know, plays like that, it seems like the whole game there's just, you know, it looks like they're driving. It looks like, you know, they're turning it around. They're getting a turnover. They're they're about to make a play. They're about to come back. They're about to, you know, take the game over maybe. And, and then they just keep shooting themselves in the foot. And I know that people say, you know, and, and I can't say that I disagree necessarily, but people say that's just the way the Browns are. But I really think this team is better than those other Browns teams that people have said that about and seen play that way. I mean, I I don't remember a lot of games where it was like, you know, it's four, four plays that felt like was a 24-point swing almost when it comes to the turnovers and the holding penalties and everything. Right. I mean, Right? I can see this upcoming game being a lot different from yeah. from that game. Yeah. That's feel, a very feel, rare
0: game. I feel like this game is one of those things where it kind of it, it, it's not like they just got run over. It, this is a game where they got a little bit behind yeah. and it got away from them. You know, this is this is yeah. there's a little bit there's a little bit of panic that doesn't need to be happening. I mean, if you look at the stats for the game and I know stats don't tell you everything, but you can at least have some sense of how the game happened. The bottom line is that the total team stats are all actually pretty even until you get to, of course, turnovers and penalties. You know, the total yards is yep. 333 to 321. The Browns actually led by three minutes of time of possession, and that's what I mean by when I say they controlled a big chunk of this game. You know, the turnovers were 5-1. to one. You're going to lose those games. First downs, though, it was oh, only 18-15, yeah. to 15, and you got to keep in mind that in the fourth quarter it was just the Jets running over everybody because the game was over. And that concerns me. I don't like that it it felt a little bit snowball-y at the end. You can't just let games get away from you because you're discouraged and because you're down and because your quarterback's fumbling the ball. Um, I I didn't like that. I didn't like the look in the fourth quarter. So that's that's basically what I'm looking for coming out of it is you guys need to compete a little harder regardless of situation. And I think sometimes these first week games are just weird. And sometimes they do have to serve as a wake up call. And so I'm really not panicking. I think, like you say, that first drive was awfully encouraging from an offensive standpoint. And McCown's going to need to protect himself because Manziel's not ready, and it's his responsibility, frankly, to stay on the damn field. That's one of the reasons he's there, uh, and I'm talking about McCown. So, you look, after that drive, I understand we're trying to get a touchdown to reward such a thorough, dominating drive, but the bottom line is I need to come out of that with points. I need to come out of that with points, and I sure as hell can't come out of it with a fumble in the end zone that gets you knocked out of the game. That is like the least acceptable play to make. Yep. So, uh, to me, that was that was discouraging coming out of that drive. But I, I saw enough in the game to feel like you know, another clean whack at this, and, and let's see what happens. I think this Tennessee team, and let's go ahead and and look at look at that game going forward a little bit. Um, obviously, they had a very impressive first week performance. But in, in my view, and I watched that game, look, I'm just going to put it to you like this because I assume there aren't a lot of people uh, from down there listening. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers are terrible, okay? They're really bad on the offensive line. They're, they're pretty good on the defensive line because Gerald McCoy's a monster, and they've got a lot of speed on defense, but they are not disciplined. They were giving up all kinds of plays that your average NFL defense, never mind a good one, will not give up. And so I'm very curious to see how Mariota uh, reacts. And frankly, I'm curious to see how Pettin reacts. But let me just assure you that the kinds of pressures and deceptions that Pettin's going to throw at this guy are going to be real different than that Lovey Smith 2 that they were playing against him. You know, they they did – one of the things I liked about what Tennessee did in that game was they incorporated in their offense some things that were obviously elements of what he had done at Oregon. Um, I was a little surprised that the – supposedly professional you know, NFL Tampa defense reacted to it as poorly as they did. Um, I don't think that's a personnel thing. I mean, I think Tampa's got enough guys to compete on the defensive side of the ball. So I think they just were ill prepared for the game. But I mean, the Titans and Mariota went up and down the field on them like it wasn't even a thing. And so that to me, when you've got a rookie quarterback, you've got a team that you don't think is necessarily the most explosive offense in the league. You've got backs that are pretty, you know, average backs, you know, it, it looked like one of those games where the Titans just had such a schematic advantage on whatever the Bucs were doing that it was going to be a steamroller from, from the minute one, because the Bucs were just never going to catch up. And then on top of that, um, you know, Winston's throwing the ball to the Titans. It was just a bad game. And so I, I really don't look at a, at a wipeout like that and think, oh my God, the Titans are a great team and Mariota is the next coming of Joe Montana. Now, Having said that, he looked really good. Very smooth, very poised, in control of his attempts uh, when he needed to get outside the pocket, and obviously he was on the money with his passing. So it's going to be, a, it should be a good test, and frankly, it should be a good opportunity coming into this one to find out that you're a little better than that first performance showed you were.
1: Yeah, um, I think one of the things that the Titans really had an advantage on the Bucs with is just how – predictable the Bucks' defense just seems to me from afar can be at times you know because I saw some guys like you know Chris Brown from smartfootball.com I talked to him I or I saw him talking to someone else on Twitter about just how you know they just sit back in that Tampa two. and if you know that's coming you can run all these run pass option plays where you know you know the defense has seven in the box so if you read one of those guys there's only going to be six in the box so if that guy drops back to cover a pat you know a pitch a slant you know a stick route if that linebacker drops back you can just hand the ball off underneath and then you have you know seven or you have, you have six on you have seven on six if the if the quarterback's involved in the run game so he can read that defender he can pull it he can run and then if also if the guy if the linebacker reads his run keys steps up you can throw the slant behind him I saw that that's how he scored that first touchdown to Kendall Wright it was a run pass option so I don't think they're going to get the same predictable looks from the Browns defense necessarily I mean it's going to be press man you know they're going to have a lot of single high they're going to mix it up I mean I don't think it'll be quite as predictable and I think it's important to remember that Ken Wisenhunt isn't he like 4 and 25 in his last like however many games or something like that like I think I saw he has some terrible record and well, I think last, last year game they game. might have had, yeah, and they might have had some success last year in week one also. So maybe he's very good at game planning in the off season, and, and then he just isn't as good in season or something. And you know, maybe that'll change now because they do have Mariota who, I mean, from everything I heard, I didn't really get to see a whole lot of them. I saw a few of the highlights and stuff, but I mean, from everything I heard and saw, it looked like he played pretty well and, like, he was in control of things. Um, but I would expect, you know, the Browns to come after him a little bit, mix up their pressures, um, you know, play a lot of press man, which, you know, that should be in the Browns' favor this week because I don't really think the Titans have good receivers like the Jets do. You know, Decker and Marshall are a much different type of duo. And also Alusu, um, who played very well, he looks like a you an know, NFL-caliber receiver for sure. You know, I don't think the Titans have those kind of guys. They have Kendall Wright, who's good, but other than him, I don't see a lot of other threats on that offense. Uh, I'll I'll tell you, the thing I
0: saw—the thing I saw with Kendall um, Wright—they were just letting him get off the line. Tampa was, and it would seem to me that if we're going to play Pettin style of defense, and if it's going to be Joe Hayden more often than not on Kendall Wright, then the, the task there is to keep Kendall Wright just stuck on the line, and I do think Hayden's a more physical player than Wright. I, as much as I like Wright and I respect his game, I really do, um, I, I think that's not, what, that's not what I think of when I think of Kendall Wright. I'm not thinking of a big physical guy that's going to beat you necessarily at the catch point too frequently, mm-hmm. and he's not going to use force at the line to get free. Now, they do have some guys that are potentially explosive, guys like Hunter and... And and they've got you know they've got DGB on this team, but obviously yeah. he's going to have a limited role as he learns. And and you know there's been such inconsistency from all these other guys, it's hard to look at any of them as a great threat. But then again, maybe some of that is they've just had such lackluster quarter play and quarterback play in recent years, and some of it'll be remedied by having Mariota in there. Uh, you know, I want to ask you about something you mentioned. You started to talk about the pass rush a little bit, and that was something that we haven't really discussed but has, yeah. to be, has to be alarming, not only to Browns fans, but I assume Mike Pettin and Jim O'Neill dug into that immediately because it was really disheartening. All due respect to the Jets offensive line, notwithstanding that the Browns could get absolutely no pressure to speak of on Ryan Fitzpatrick through the bulk of that game. And I would have thought that that was something that they'd have found a way to scheme to do. And the way that the offensive line for the Jets was really able to control, especially the second half of that game, um, was really disappointing to me,
1: yeah, um you know I talked about it last week, and i just I really think that the browns want to be able to rush with four guys and drop seven and with the personnel they played at least last week, unless you know Orchard comes along unless Xavier Cooper because you know that 's two guys that were inactive for the game they they didn 't even dress on day, on game day, so if those two rookies are active this week and they can make an impact maybe on third downs, you know, pass downs, then maybe maybe the pass rush steps it up a little bit. But, I mean, they just – they weren't defeating blocks at all. I mean, from what I saw, I was paying attention to the pass rush as the game went on because it was just so bad. Like, it was terrible. Fitzpatrick could just stand there in the pocket and, you know, pick them apart most of the time. But, I mean, unless they can defeat blocks, they're not going to be able to get it done. I mean, Kruger, he, you know, he was okay. Like he didn't really look quite as good as last year, but who knows it's week one maybe this week'll he come out and have a couple sacks you know you never know a lot of it has to do with you know the interior guys getting a rush and forcing the quarterback out of the pocket, and then the edge guy's getting to the quarterback, but the problem was they just didn't have you know they weren't defeating blocks on the interior either i mean sheldon you know I love Sheldon he's a big pickup he pushed the pocket a few times, and I thought he was doing a pretty good job for a rookie in his first did you, game, uh I you know? don't know if you would have noticed
0: this, but I was watching him pretty closely throughout the game. I can't say I charted it, but it sure seemed to me like the second half involved a whole lot more double teaming of Danny Shelton than the first half did. Did you notice
1: that? Uh, I, I honestly didn't notice it a whole lot more. I'll probably pay more attention to it this week now that you said that. But, uh, I mean, I was very impressed with what I saw from him. But really, just it just seems like they're going to really need to play Orchard for sure this week and maybe Cooper too, you know, just try those guys I out on was really, down.
0: I was honestly surprised um, that they didn't use him. Maybe it was something that was Jets specific because, well, you know, they they didn't seem – they don't seem to me like a group that is hesitant. I know others would disagree, but they're, they're not hesitant to play young guys if they think they're ready to go. I was a little surprised, especially with Cooper because he can – you know, what he does is not something that's all that scheme – Dependent, he can get off the ball and just wreck havoc, and and that can be good enough for a few passing downs. And I was a little surprised to see him left out of that.
1: Yeah, I think another factor that we haven't mentioned that I think was probably huge in that game. Honestly, when it came to stopping the run, is Scott Solomon. You know, Mm, he got hurt on like the second play of the game. We haven't even mentioned that. But
0: no, you're right. You know,
1: setting the edge. It's a lot. It's a lot different of a game when you know Barkevious Mingo. I think he's very good against the run. I know a lot of people don't think he is, but I do. I think he is. And uh, but he looked like he was on a pitch count to me. Like he just he wasn't playing oh, he a whole lot. He had to be. He They're only not, played.
0: I, I read yeah. the stat. He only played something like twelve or thirteen snaps.
1: Yeah, there you go. I didn't even look that up, but yeah. So he was mostly dropping in coverage from what I saw. And you know, was the rushing quarterback. Yeah, he did. Exactly. He dropped back in coverage, gained depth, got under that route. You know, Fitzpatrick threw a great ball into the end zone and Mingo tipped it. So, you know, it looked like he's showing improvements there. But, I mean, when he's on a pitch count and then Scott Solomon goes out second or third play of the game, and then you're kind of limited yeah. with, with what you can do. Yeah. you got to play a lot of Armani Bryant. You know, Armani Bryant, I think, played a ton in that game, whether it was at defensive end or outside linebacker. And, you know, I was watching – uh and throughout the game, another thing I saw, it looked like John Hughes was even playing a little bit of defensive end, like like on the opposite side of, you know, Kruger lines up at rush. And then there's an open side end on the other side. Or, yeah, I guess they were flipping back and forth. But there was a play where I saw Hughes was like a contained player. And that was just very weird to me. And that was one of those plays, I think, where Ivory got outside. Hughes is more of a three technique type guy. You know, he'll – He's more of an interior defensive lineman. But I think they had to play him on the like on the edge a little bit, not standing up or anything. But it was just odd to me, the things they had to do. So um, I don't really know what happened with Scott Solomon, like how long he's out. Is he out for a while? Yeah, you it sounds know like
0: it's going to be a matter of weeks. It, it's the dreaded high ankle sprain. So it'll be a matter of weeks before uh, they get him back. Okay. Yeah, so I, well, I agree with you. I was, I'm glad you brought that up because I know they were talking about him you know, he was their starter on the outside because of his ability to set the edge against the run. And you, could, you can definitely tell that that disrupted things on the outside. They did another poor job. And this does, frankly, it pisses me off that here we are a year into this system and we're still just totally missing run fits and, and just not yeah. even making our assignments. And to me, that is sort of, a, all right, either we got to get some new guys or the coaches aren't doing it well enough. And so I don't know if that and, – and here's the deal. When I've got a head coach, I want to give the head coach more time. So my thinking is Jim O'Neill's got to get his unit a little more together. And I don't like it in retrospect because at the tail end of last year, even though things had gotten really nice for a little while, the second, you know, the last several games on defense, injuries included, I know, were messy. And so I'm really looking for that unit. Look, you can't tout the unit all off season, and you can't add all kinds of things to that unit. And you can't pay as much money as they pay to players on that side of the ball and be a mediocre defense. You've built your team, and we're, look, we're, we're two you know, program-building years into this thing now. You've built your team dependent on the idea that you're going to play good defense. So I need to see a lot better defense this weekend against a team that, frankly, d- should not come into Cleveland and beat this Browns team. Um, but they will if the Browns play defense like that again.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. And uh, just going back to the, you know, defensive line thing again. You know, they upgraded that group in the off season, but I watching that game, I still felt like they they could really use another difference maker up front or on, two on, on the D line. Yeah, yes, one or two cause, Not, you know, neither end position Starks, played it didn't made
0: much impact for my liking.
1: Yeah, I mean, Starks was okay. Desmond Bryant was okay. I think. Brian got a couple hits on the quarterback, but I mean, neither guy played great by any means. And I'm like, I just mentioned John Hughes. I'm a big fan of his, but he should never be put in that position that he was in where he was, you know, playing on the edge and having to set the edge and stuff. But I mean, that's what happens when, you know, Kruger has to move over and then you got Ar- Armani Bryant playing outside. Um, you know, this week they're going to have to have, I think Mingo's going to have to either play more on rundowns or they're just going to have to play Nate Orchard a lot and kind of throw him into the fire because, you know, they're going to have to have some type of rotation outside and there's, I just, I see no way that Orchard's ever going to be inactive again, as long as uh, Scott Solomon is hurt. And, and another thing is, you know, if they're trying to get a better rush from the interior this week, I mean, they've got us, you know, they've got to have Xavier Cooper active because, like you mentioned, you know, his quick first step, way that he uses his hands, he just understands how to get to the quarterback. You know, we saw it in the preseason. So I think that's that's a guy that could come in and maybe defeat some blocks on the interior and force the quarterback out of the pocket. Yeah, and, I would think and, especially, know, in a, you, especially is, with a rookie. Yeah, I would think especially the
0: way that that guy plays, he would be especially valuable as sort of a second-half rotational guy to just bring the the energy up and really create problems for an all it's a it's almost like bringing in the guy that throws 95 after you've had a curveball pitcher out there you know what I mean it's a totally different kind of heat and and it just requires you to up your your intensity and your quickness and all that because he's coming at you a totally different way than a lot of those guys at that position and I agree with you again that's why I loved the pick when they made it and that's why I was really surprised that he was not on the active game day roster, but we'll see how it turns out this weekend. You know, <laughs> before we get to the other thing that we kind of screwed up last week, let me ask you one thing, one one last thing in terms of football, both from last week and then how it plays into this week. Last week, w- one last thing that I noticed. That defensive line for the Jets, even without having Sheldon Richardson there, Created a ton of problems for the Browns offensive line. I'm talking about the guy you mentioned, Damien Harrison uh, or Damon Harrison. Leonard Williams mm-hmm. was a force, the rookie out of USC. He was creating all sorts of problems. Obviously, Mo Wilkerson's going to be a handful. Um, as you look ahead to this week, the Titans have a guy in Jarrell Casey that has the ability to mm-hmm. cause all kinds of problems on his own. What do you uh, when you have a guy that's that dominant? that there's no one guy on your line, even on our line, that's just going to handle him consistently one-on-one. How does that affect what you have to do from a design standpoint on the offensive side of the ball?
1: Um, You know, you just have to be aware of where he's lining up. I think, you know, you might change some of your line calls up front so that you're, you know, double-teaming him more often, you know, rather than maybe just having your – you know, for example – Maybe having your center go straight to the second level, you'll you know have him combo with the guard and they'll double-team him. Or, for example, instead of having your tackle go to the second level, you'll have your tackle and guard double-team the guy if he's in the three technique. You know, There's certain things that you just have to be aware of and kind of adjust your game plan going into the game. But, I mean, it's really hard to stop a guy like Jarrell Casey. I mean, he's just so athletic for his size, and he's just a freak athlete. So you know that's that's a scary matchup, but I think you know across the board they're not going to give as give the Browns as many problems as the Jets did just because I mean it looked like the jets. To me, they had three guys that could really play up front. They I mean, do, Leonard Williams, and they, they have a lot more coming. I thought, yeah, the, the,
0: the, yeah, the exactly. Jets are going to be good. I think I agree with your earlier statement. I, I think we're going to find out as this year plays out that the Jets are a really good defense. Obviously, uh, they they sounds like maybe they dodged, a good team, yeah, maybe a good team. You're right, because because. You know, there were there were people that thought their offense was gonna be pretty reasonably good. I mean I know from a fantasy side there were guys like Sigmund Bloom talking about the Chan Gailey effect on the kind of personnel they had there. And I, I that I you know, that made sense to me. I still didn't love all the personnel but Fitzgerald's a smart enough, Fitzgerald Fitzpatrick's a smart enough quarterback that he's going to make yeah. the right decision most of the time in terms of getting you into the right play. He's going to make some mistakes throwing the ball, but all quarterbacks do. And they've got you know big receivers on the outside. Chris Ivory's a beast. They've got a great offensive line. So uh, look, I think we're going to find out that might be a pretty good team. But then again, maybe we're just blowing sunshine up our own asses. So we'll find out soon enough. Um, two more quick <laughs> topics before we make our picks and call it a wrap on this one. Um oh quick aside please follow Brendan at Brendan Leister on Twitter and you can follow me Ryan Burns at FTBL sickness um but two more things i noticed Brendan um first what did you think of the uh the Terrell Pryor move <laughs>
1: uh i mean i think, think we know, got them back now <laughs> Yeah, we were definitely wrong. I mean, all we were doing was just speculating why they kept him. You know, we were kind of surprised. We thought they might keep Lens. We thought they might keep Maly. Right, but once they just, kept him, I thought you know, they were they keeping him. him. Yeah.
0: What's that? I said once they kept him, I thought they were keeping him.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's that's the way it felt. But, you know, Pedden, I think, said in a press conference that he was the 53rd guy or something. So that was, you know, he, he just kind of made it off potential and, you know, would have, And I remember him saying even before they cut him, he said something like it was before the final cuts, and, and Pettin goes, you know, it would be a really big leap of faith for us to keep a guy like that just based off potential. And right. then they actually kept him, and that surprised me. But then, you know, they cut him, and so, I mean, I think, you know, he, he showed them some things that they they liked and all that, you know, they liked the potential, but once Robert Turbin was on the market and they had a chance at him off waivers, I mean, that if if Turbin can play the way that some people think he can and, you know, maybe breaches the potential, you know, I'd say that he'll offer a lot more to this team right now than Terrell Pryor. And I think I saw today where, or maybe yesterday, that, you know, Turbin's planning on coming coming out and playing for the, the Chargers game or the game after that maybe. And, you know, if it's in a couple weeks or three weeks, even four weeks, I mean, that's not a terrible move. I don't know how much Pryor would have contributed. Uh, you know, I, we both speculated, but I like the move Looking actually. back now.
0: In in terms of Turban, yeah. I really like that part of it. I don't love how the timing of all that went, but heck, if it was anybody else and he was just some dude, we wouldn't care. This is because it's Terrell Pryor. We know he's a great athlete, but obviously he's sort of being passed around the league on the workout circuit. Nobody's signing him. I mean, let's take the signals for what they are. Okay. This guy mm-hmm. may may someday be an excellent wide receiver in the NFL, but he's a hell of a long way from helping anybody, is the way I'm sort of interpreting all this. Now, one last thing. How about a quick diagnosis of what you saw from Johnny? You know, I thought his, you know, you're going to see some of his bad habits creep up. Like, he will escape the pocket a little sooner on some plays than I like. You do see that occasionally he's going to drop his eyes. But I think on the whole, the progress is extremely evident. I mean, the feet look night and day better. He he did make multiple read throws um, obviously the first touchdown to me was just, hey, Benjamin ran past the guy and uh, Manziel had recognized the appropriate coverage from pre-snap and knew it was there. So I thought that was a good job to make the play, especially in there basically on your first snap. And then I actually saw enough to be encouraged that if this guy doesn't have to play right now, we might have something interesting on our hands round about the end of this season.
1: Yeah, it's it's. I was impressed. You know, it was, it was exciting early in that game when he came in and then, you know, his first, I think his first throw wasn't at the touchdown. So, you know, that was impressive. I mean, he he looked off the safety on that play. He went back, you know, he knew where he was going the whole play. I actually saw that at the top of the screen, you know, before the play, it's what, third and 18 or third and 19. And I was like, well, Benjamin's got press. So how about you just throw at him? And then Benjamin goes deep, runs past him and the touchdown. So that was kind of cool. But I mean that was a great throw by Manziel. Great read, you know. Like you said, his feet look a lot better. And I think I said it on the podcast last week, maybe. But you know, I I'm a believer that you know, quarterback their feet follow their eyes. And if you know what you're looking at, you know what you're looking for. And you know, you've drilled the footwork enough, obviously, that to where it's muscle memory. Your feet are going to look good. You know, they're going to be in sync with your eyes. Your your body's going to go with your eyes. So that's the way it is for a quarterback. You look left, your body, you know, turns that way, your feet go with it. So that's kind of what I saw from Manziel. I mean, I thought his feet looked a lot better than they have in the past. Uh, I'm impressed with the stuff that flip and and Kevin O'Connell have done with him. You know, I think they've done a good job so far. It's impressive. You can tell that he's really put in the time and worked hard and, and another thing to remember for everybody, you know, he didn't practice for, what, three weeks because of his elbow? And, and he wasn't getting any first-team reps at all. So, you know, he wasn't always on the same page with the guys he was throwing to. That was pretty obvious to me. You know, I think there was a couple of timing routes where he threw it, and, you know, the receiver didn't break off his route at the time where he expected. But I'm with you when it comes to, you know, there were still the negatives where, you know, maybe he leaves the pocket a step too soon or, you know, stuff like that. There was the sack. I think some people blamed it on Joe Thomas. There's no way that that's on Joe Thomas. Oh, Johnny ran um, right into that, that guy. <laughs> was, yeah, exactly. That was a strip sack. Yeah. You know, Joe Thomas expects the quarterback to be on the launch point. You know, that's how an offense works. You, you expect your quarterback to be in a certain spot and the offensive line supposed to create a pocket around him. Well, when the quarterback runs, like beforehand you know before he should all bets are off at that point that's That's, your quarterback that's not yeah that's just not giving the offensive line a chance to be successful you know what i mean
0: well and and that'll come with that comes with work that comes with work when you've got a guy like manzel it's a different scenario you know you have to drill that stuff too because there's it's like any sport that's played you know on a team basis the the rhythms of different teammates and the way different teammates do certain things, whether it's soccer or basketball or football, whatever, you know, the the double play combination at second base. There's something in every sport that you could sort of liken that to where, you know, you just got to get used to your teammates. And Manzel, I suspect, for an offensive line, is particularly hard to get used to because he is so random, even while being effective, if we're at least projecting what he did at college out into the future. You know, I mean, that, that scramble ability will get him into trouble at times, just like it did for Brett Favre and just like it does for Russell Wilson. And, you know, the question is – can you hone the rest of your game to make that more of an asset than it is a liability? And, and at least on first blush, it looks like he's at least finally on that
1: upward ramp. Is that a fair way to put it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I think he's, he's definitely on an upward ramp. And people need to remember he's only 22 years old. You know, this, this guy, he's going to turn 23 in December. So, you know, he's a very young quarterback still. He's only in his second year, like you said earlier in the podcast, he might have played as well as any of the quarterbacks from the twenty fourteen draft. You know, that's that's encouraging. I mean, I I know that I've said that I would kind of be against him playing this year just because it would be probably best for his doll <laughs> this you is know, the question, on the bench, gonna, keep this, learning. This is the question
0: I was going to ask yeah. you is because I'm of two minds about it. I mean I, I I argue with people because I do think the best thing, my conclusion is that the best thing is for him to sit for as much as he can this year. Like I, I think it's inevitable that he's probably going to play a little bit at some point. And if Josh McCown insists on running into brick walls, he's going to play a lot more <laughs> than we would have had it. But I I, I do come from the school that way more quarterbacks could play in this league than are allowed the luxury of time to develop in order to have just the fundamental baseline knowledge that you need to be successful. And I'm not talking about learning every play in the playbook and mastering the craft. I'm talking about there's a certain understanding of the basic, you know, universe of NFL defenses and protections and, and ways to beat those NFL defenses that you have to have before you have any hope of playing quarterback in the NFL. And almost nobody ever has it walking into the game. And that's why people say it's such a hard position to learn. And it's the hardest damn job in sports. So like you say, that's a 22-year-old kid. I'm going to wait and see how it plays out. And, and that's why I'm inclined to give them a little bit more time. Look, this team is, is good enough to compete. But like you said, they were extremely effective for that drive with – um, Josh McGowan on the, on the field. And I know it's not explosive. I know it wasn't sexy, but as we all know, they don't have the playmakers to be constantly explosive and, and sexy. We're going to get one like that Travis Benjamin bomb once in a while, because we do have some speed. But once you go beyond that, this team has to be methodical. It has to control the game. It is built to play the kind of football it played on that first drive. Now, obviously it needs to finish it with touchdowns, but in my view, it was a lot more effective and efficient with McCown out there. And so either way I look at it right now, McCown is the better quarterback, so he ought to be playing. And for me, I think that's what's better for
1: Manziel. Yeah. Um, you know, I see both sides of it. That, that's what's very hard for me because like, I think Manziel's the kind of guy that especially right now with the way it seems like he is. Trial by you fire. You know, with his mature what, yeah, so, just the maturing, you know, Just throw him maybe in there. before, yeah. you know, the way that he was so hard on himself and everything like that, like it just seemed like maybe, you know, if he would have really, well, like like we saw last year, I guess, you know, he was so bad last year. And, and, you know, that led to him probably getting very down on himself and his issues getting, you know, spiraling downward to where he had to go to rehab. But now, you know, it seems like there's more of a base, you know, underneath him now with his, you know, structure in his life and everything. He has coaches that want him to succeed. I don't know if Kyle Shanahan really cared much about Donnie Manziel. Um, I don't know much about how Dow Loggins felt about him, but I've heard all negative things pretty much when it came to the way that he dealt with them. Um So I think, you know, now I could see it working where, you know, Manziel's thrown out there. McCown, you know, he's there to support him, help him through everything, you know help him learn in the quarterback's room, you know, after games, learn from his mistakes. But then at the same time, I agree with you. I think McCown is a more efficient, better, consistent quarterback right now, even with his, you know, the mistakes that McCown is going to make, like we talked about in the last podcast. he's yeah, going. Th- to no, Let's make a disclaimer. Season. None
0: of us are saying that Josh McCown is a really
1: good quarterback here. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. We're not saying that. It's just at this point, I think he gives the chance or he gives the team a better chance to win at this moment just because of his experience, you know, the way that he can make throws, um in the offense, he knows where to go with the ball, things like that, where Mandel's not going to be as consistent with it right now, not as efficient. Um so I, I just I see both sides and I think, you know, Mandel while I said he can learn from his own mistakes on film, well he can learn from McCown's mistakes too. You know, they're both in the quarterback's meetings you know, watching the film together, learning from each other's mistakes. So, you know, that can help Manziel also. So I think the most important thing for Manziel, whether he's playing or not, is to just make sure that he keeps focusing on what he can control, taking it one day at a time, focusing on getting better. But um, but right now, I, I side with you and just having McCown start and then Manzel, you know, learning on the bench right now. And then when the time comes, when he's ready, or when, you know, McCown runs into a brick wall again, throw Manziel back out there and see what he's got. Yeah. You know, I, I, I can see it both ways because I, I do
0: – I'm receptive to the idea that maybe Manziel is the kind of kid that's going to learn really, really exponentially fast while he's playing. Yeah. Um, so I, I, yep. I don't know. Um, but obviously I don't get to make the decision, so oh well. Uh, what are you, about your thoughts on this weekend's game? It sounded like you were a little – a little optimistic. Give me a pick, and we'll call this one. We'll call it a day
1: here. Mm, well, um, in the coach's office uh, at Ritten, we do a, a pool each week. You know, we pick ten games. Uh, you know, it's like seven high school, two college, and one NFL. I think. And this week's NFL game was the Browns and, and the Titans. And every coach in there, except two of us, pick the Titans. So I'm going to go with the Browns. Um, I'm gonna pick them. How about about 20 to 17 Browns?
0: I like it. I will echo it. I think 20 to 17 is a good score. I'd love to see us score a few more touchdowns than that, but um, as long as we don't go down three touchdowns again or four touchdowns to the Tennessee Titans, this time we're at home. We ought not. Uh, we ought to have a decent ball game. So looking forward to it. Hopefully they give us a little more to cheer for. Embark for this Sunday than they did last and we'll be back here again next weekend or next week to break it down for you, talk about the following weekend's game and uh, hopefully celebrate a Browns win this has been episode 25 of the Browns Note Podcast, that was Brendan Leister and you can follow him at Brendan Leister on Twitter, you can follow me Ryan Burns at FTBL Sickness, thanks for listening everybody, talk to you next week Go Browns!